Thank you all for coming. Yeah, I've been at this for like 33 years with the course, but this is my... I did one other bookstore gathering. I think it was in uh, Salt Lake City, so it's great to be out back in the Bay Area where I have so many friends, and I just love you all so dearly. It's great being out here. Come on in. We've got some chair there, a chair over here. We've got some room here. <laughs> Hi there. Hey. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, it's great to be out here to talk, too, about the new book, This Moment is Your Miracle, because um, it's been a big collaborative effort to put this together, but um, with other books uh, that I've done over the years, they've all been self-published. But it's one thing nice about collaborating with a great publishing team is that... Um, as we know, miracles are collaborative. So when you get into that synergy of working together, that even a professional publisher has pulled out things that they feel the readers really want to know, exercises, make it practical, you know, all those kind of things that are very, very important. And I think that always comes to my mind about how collaborative miracles really are. It's not a a solo thing. We're doing this with the Spirit and with all of our brothers and sisters, so it's really an honor to, to work that way. To me, this is like a culmination, too, of, of many, many years of, of travel, of interactive gatherings, and, and that's really the spirit of this book, is that we're coming together and we're letting the Spirit... Oh, there's Sundari coming down. <laughs> down from the heavens. <laughs> She's descending. <laughs> but uh, we, we come together to be truly helpful in one another's lives and to join together in a way where we can lend a helping hand. And really the, the power of this book is the power of the reminders, page by page, chapter by chapter, of how powerful this moment is, and that it's worth giving yourself over to this moment. Because we have believed in this ego belief system which says that we have to pull from the past and we have to always be concerned or worried about the future, what's, what's coming next. Almost like playing a defensive kind of game of, of uh, be prepared for the future. And really, this book is saying, it's highlighting this moment. It's saying, if you can have faith to come to this moment and stay in this moment and face whatever seems to be blocking you from this moment, that the rewards will be absolutely amazing in, in your own experience. And so, this book is also really has a chapter on trust and... For many of us, when we think of trust, we say, trust what? And so this is starting to help us get clearer about that trust, because whatever, we all have a very powerful mind, we all have faith and trust, but really the question is, what are we putting our trust and faith in? If the ego is an unconscious belief system, and we've been plugged into a belief system of fear, then we of course have to raise it up into awareness and expose it to be free of it. We were just having a chat uh, up at the cafe about that, where the exposure is something 
that we're seeing is so important and it wasn't something necessarily that we were told when we were growing up or as children. Uh, our parents weren't necessarily telling us to expose. They were telling us sometimes to sit, sit down, shut up, and, and do listen, do your homework, more just to adhere to the programming. And this is about going deep into the programming and the conditioning and really seeing that we can be free of it. So I would say that in a lot of my talks I emphasize that that spiritual awakening is is 1% principle and 99% practice. Not to discount the principle, because that's why we have to be very clear on what that principle is. Because if you're practicing something that you're not clear on, that's not going to help either. That 99% practice won't help if you're not clear on that principle. But if you're clear, then it seems to accelerate the spiritual awakening. Welcome. Do you have a chair back there? I do. Okay. Wow, we've just got a, just enough of, for everything here. <laughs> so, for me, I would have to say that's been the most important thing for me, is, is I opened up to the moment, learned to let go and trust in the moment, to stay focused in the moment. Then there came an experience of confidence from being in the moment and being intuitive that grew stronger and stronger and stronger and strengthened my awareness of the moment. And that confidence is necessary. Just like in this world, to be competent in any field or any profession, you have to have a lot of focus, you have to have a lot of determination, you have to have a lot of perseverance. And I would say it's the same with undoing the ego's belief in linear time. We have to have a lot of perseverance, a lot of trust and focus to keep coming back. Keep training our mind to come back. Be present. How am I feeling right now? No, I'm not interested in throwing the story and the interpretations all on top and making it super complicated and trying to figure it out or analyze it, I want to come back and just be present to what is it for me now? What is the lesson for me in this right now? What is the guidance for me right now? And as we do that, we become more confident that we can hear and follow that guidance. All of the guidance, ah, there's a couple more coming. Welcome. Do we have, there's a chair? Three or four chairs over here. On this side, yes. Um, we can, oh, I think those are from our publisher. Just talked about our publisher. <laughs> Very good. We should give them a, an applause. Okay, here come the publisher. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about collaboration with the publishers, and you've walked in right on cue. Beautiful. There it is. I like the timing of things. Everything is perfect. So, as as we become more proficient at this inner listening, as we become more trusting in the moment. We come 
closer and closer to a teaching that is in, in A Course in Miracles, and this book is really inspired by A Course in Miracles. And the teaching, the idea from A Course in Miracles that really fits with the title of this, too, is trust would settle every problem now. So that's telling us that if our trust grows strong, and if we keep coming back to the present moment, that that is capable of solving and settling every problem now. One thing I would say a lot of us are aware of is that we're aware of this thing called hypotheticals. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, what if? Many of us have been caught into the wheels of what if. What if things had been different? What if I had done something differently? And what we're learning from A Course in Miracles and, and through this book as well is that all problems are hypothetical. And that's why the present moment is so powerful. That's why this moment can solve all problems. All of our problems and issues, whether they, they're relationship issues or societal issues, family issues, psychic issues, so on and so forth, are all based on hypotheticals always dipping into the past and always projecting off into the future. And hypotheticals is where the, the stress comes in. That's where the, the problems, when we let our mind be given over to all these hypotheticals, then we're distracted away from the moment. So you could just say that this kind of thinking, you could call it ego thinking, is just a, a bad habit and that we need to form a good habit of coming back to the moment. Now, the Course in Miracles, and I would say all beautiful non-dualistic teachings about awakening to spirit or love and light, all have this aspect of seeing that what we're reacting to in the world, the world is not the problem, it's the filter that we see the world through that's the problem. It's the filter of judgment that's the problem. It's the filter of interpretation that's the problem. And we're told there is another way of looking at the world. There is a way of looking at the world from a holistic point of view, from a perception where everything is included and where you're not dividing and breaking the world apart into parts and sides but you're actually seeing the world anew from a new place. In The Course in Miracles, there's a part called the clarification of terms, and in it, Jesus defines the spirit and defines the mind. And when he even describes the mind, he says, in this book, the mind is described as if it has two parts. So even the idea of a split mind, or of a right mind, wrong mind, or of spirit and ego, is still an as if. It's still an as if. And at one point I was pondering, I said, what is this as if? As if it has two parts. 
in, it was that in truth, in reality, everything is love. Everything is one. Everything is completely connected. Even the mechanism of describing the split mind is, is a hypothetical. As if the separation occurred. And we have to deal with our perceptions. Even if they're as if perceptions, we still have to start somewhere. We can't uh, go into, like the story of Pollyanna, we can't pretend that everything is one. We have to experience, we have to discover. And that's why this book is helpful, because what it does is it brings you back to an invitation to discover the power of the present moment. We have been so conditioned to plan for the future and so conditioned to look back and analyze and overanalyze the past that we have ignored our point of power, which Eckert called the power of now. So this is like another version of coming back to that pristine moment, to that moment of power. A lot of times I also, I use movies, I use uh, episodes from from TV, all kinds of audiovisual teachings, basically to show that guilt is not something that is resulting from a decision or an event or an occurrence in the past. Worry is not really coming about about fear of a future circumstance, but actually whenever we're upset, it's because we are making a present decision to be upset. That is a radical idea when it seems like our conditioning is telling us certain events happen to us and then these events cause our emotions. I even had a counselor years ago when I was in university and and my the car that I was driving, which I thought about since I was a little boy, I actually had this car and it was smashed with a rear-end collision, and it was completely totaled. And yet, before I had gone in to talk to my counselor, I had an epiphany that the reason that I was upset about my car being smashed is because my identity was too attached to this car, a Cougar XR7, <laughs> by the way. Uh, and that... I had this huge epiphany that, oh my gosh, it's not the car getting smashed and totaled was the problem, it was that I was identified with the car. I remember going in and I was so excited with my epiphany that telling my counselor of this great insight I had, and my counselor just looked at me and said, no, no, you should be very upset. <laughs> Which brought on another epiphany <laughs> that when I have an epiphany, I can't necessarily describe it or explain that epiphany <laughs> to somebody else and expect them to understand my own insight. So it turned into a double blessing, actually. And with the small amount of uh, insurance money that I received for that used Cougar X or 7, 
I actually moved into an AMC Gremlin <laughs> after a Cougar XR7. So the spirit was humbling me, loosening my attachment. I had much less attachment to this yellow AMC Gremlin that came in afterwards. <laughs> Dennis is he's like the Special engine. Yes. Really hot thing. Yeah. Black and gold. Yeah. And I went to a Volkswagen. <laughs> Volkswagen bug. <laughs> okay. Well, there's even a part in the course in the in the manual for teachers where Jesus says one of the the stages of the development of trust. It says it will seem as if things are being taken away from you. Has anybody here had that experience of seemingly something was taken away from you that you love? And he was basically saying in there, it's not that it's really being taken away from you, but it's just that you're being given an opportunity, presented with an opportunity to start to see the valueless of some of the things that you thought were previously valuable. And so... Even that, you can start to see, oh my gosh, there's even a blessing in those things. The ego would not say it's a blessing. The ego is a sponsor of loss, uh, a sponsor of jealousy, envy, and it's got a lot of beliefs that it would project and say, oh, it's just a, a cruel world, and you aren't deserving of more than this cruelty. When actually our spirit, inside of us is telling us that we're worth so much more than we give ourselves credit for. That we actually were created by God, we created by Spirit, and there's nothing that can, in this world that can take away that worth, and there's nothing that we really actually need in the world to add to that worth. He says, your, your worth is established by God. Nothing you think or say or make or do is necessary to establish your worth. Wow, that's something that we can, we need to hear that in a world where we've believed in competitiveness and getting ahead in a world of comparison, of always trying to stay better than someone else and, and compare. We need to remember that our worth is not based on comparison. It is based on our creation. And, and we need to go back far enough. How do we get back there? Well, again, that's the purpose of this book, is to take us, remind us, chapter after chapter after chapter, exercise after exercise, example after example. It's literally a convincing job that a lot of us have had a lot of self-doubt. And the only way out of self-doubt is to have a new way of looking at the world and a new way of looking at ourselves. We need a change of perception about the world that we see and about our purpose with the world. So I would say that we have been addicted to the past and we've been addicted to self-doubt and self-hatred and we need to have that self-doubt and self-hatred loosened just to make space for another way. And this ray of light, this new way, is there for us as we open up to it. 
To me, it, it really is a convincing job. I, I see that um, many of us, we, we come from different backgrounds. I was raised in Christianity, and I went through the years of going to, to uh, Bible studies, summer Bible schools, and so on and so forth. But I think, like most of us who even have had religious backgrounds, we had our doubts and questions. We saw gaps, we saw inconsistencies, we saw things that we couldn't really reconcile in our heart. Uh, those that have even grown up being more agnostic or, or atheistic, this is the same kind of thing. Uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting so many people, I, I think I would do well speaking at a religious conference a, a, or a spiritual conference, or if they ever had an atheist unite, uh, I think I could be the feature speaker uh, at at just about anything. Uh, I had a friend of mine. Uh, I use movies to help teach these things because I call movies like the modern day parables, Hollywood's modern day parables. So I use movies in teaching, and even have a book called The Movie Watcher's Guide to Enlightenment. And actually, I showed a movie one time. It was a Bill Maher. Lawyer uh, movie called Religulous. I don't know if any of you have heard of it, but some of you know Bill, Bill Maher, quite a famous atheist. And then a friend came out to where I was teaching in Utah, and she said, I can't believe that you would use a, a movie by an atheist to talk about forgiveness. And and I said, oh, it's, it's quite a good movie because it points out some inconsistencies of theology. And just to believe a religion blindly, if there's inconsistencies or things that you don't really resonate with, seems crazy to just adhere to something if it doesn't really resonate in your heart. So for me, I find that, that this book and all true authentic spirituality will expose beliefs that are not consistent. And that is a good thing. We do need to expose the beliefs. I'd say most of our beliefs are unconscious, so it's a good thing to bring them up into awareness where you can then evaluate the belief. Or at least you can say, do I, does it resonate with me? Is it something, is it still serving me? Or have I been operating a, through an unconscious belief that's just been there circulating around as an assumption and it's never been raised awareness to actually take a look at it and this happens all the time in healing where where a child is part of a family where there's a divorce and then the child takes the divorce in a personal way thinking they did something to cause the divorce and only years later in therapy start to realize that they were believing they did something to cause their parents to divorce when actually it wasn't their fault and then they start to feel lighter, more free, more innocent. They start to be able to live, truly live. But they just discover, oh my gosh, I, I went for years holding on to this belief that I was the cause of the divorce. That's pretty much what we all go through with our daily life experiences. We have upsets that come up and we, we don't initially think that the upset is originating in our own mind, in our consciousness, and yet that's exactly where it's originating. We 
have been deluded. We've been hoodwinked. I like the word hoodwinked. We've been hoodwinked to believing that the the world outside of us is causing us to be a certain way. And this belief denies the power of our own mind, the power of our own decision. And, and that's why we've tried to use exercises as well as lots of examples in this book to show, to turn it around. Like Byron Katie's teachings about turn it all around. Don't think the world is doing this to you. Look at the part that you play. Question what it is that you've, you are thinking. Question what it is that you're believing. Don't just take it as a fact that something's happening to you. I'm very fond of using that idea too that um, nothing's really happening to you, everything is happening for you. That there is nothing at random, there are, there are no happenstance circumstances where you just happen to be unlucky. Uh, there, everything is occurring for you to make this internal turnaround and start to see that you can choose to be happy. And to me that's the most empowering thought. Uh, just driving over here, we were talking about, they were showing me some of the tents under the uh, overpass and homelessness, and, um, and also there are some people that are coming out, homeless that are coming out and saying, this is my lifestyle, I choose this lifestyle, I feel happy and free with this lifestyle. <laughs> and we were talking about it's a new trend. <laughs> the empowered homeless uh, that are even being used to, to teach the very lesson of coming back to live in the moment. Because uh, oftentimes when, when you don't seem to have so much control over your environment, so much control over your circumstances, it can be a little crack, a, a gateway in your mind to start to have true trust, uh, true connection come through. And we've, uh, it's been so beautiful. Gia picked, picked us up at the airport today and we've had a nice ongoing talk with Gia and Bill at their home, but it was all about, about loosening from the idea that our worth comes from what we do, opening to the idea that we can be shown that we can be happy in a state of mind that is not associated with what we do or don't do. So much of our worth and so much of our belief in happiness gets so associated with what the body is doing or not doing. Is it doing enough? Is it doing the right things? Is it doing enough of the right things? It's almost like there's an equation going on in our mind that's, that oftentimes can push into very stressful experience, almost feeling like we're driven. And we're driven, but we've, we've lost track of what it is that's driving us. And I would say that the ego is the thing in there that drive, drives us, and it also is mainly unconscious. That's why people feel often like they're on a treadmill and they're just running, running, running on this treadmill and there's, there's just no way to get off. Like, they, they have to accomplish so much. They have to 
beyond the treadmill so much that that they they have to find a way to to slow down or to stop. I'm going to take a sip of water. For me, what is in this book, the content of this moment is a miracle, comes directly from my experiences. It is, it is not a theoretical book. It is not a book of wishful thinking. Uh, I would say that wishful thinking is coming from the ego and certainty and clarity and harmony and peace come from reality, come from the truth of who we are. Not the wish to be something different, but the actual admission of, of who our Creator is and who we are as a creation of a, of a real glorious and magnificent creation. To humbly accept yourself as you are forever and forever have been created is is the key to an experience. And then when you have the experience, that experience itself is extending and giving. You, It's almost like you, you go on um, an involuntary extension of what that experience is. You don't even have to sit around and plan, how am I going to extend the love? It's, it comes automatic. So for me, it was many years ago when I actually, I was in university, I was working on yet another degree, and I had this profound, life-changing experience where I had this sense like I was putting so much effort to make something of myself, so much effort into the future, so much effort into what I was going to become in the future, that's what all these 10 years of university were all about. But once I had that epiphany that I could trust and I could relax and I could be shown the way that would bring me to a true sense of contentment and happiness, then I, I, I went for that. And I have to say that I, there has never been a regret of that moment of giving things over that way, of, of trusting, of listening, of being guided. It's just been miracles upon miracles upon miracles. It's been like the most glorious, surreal fairy tale that you could ever imagine from that point of surrender, from that point of, I'm not going to try to run the show, I'm not going to try to be in charge anymore, I'm going to humbly listen and follow. That has been the thing that turned everything around. And so there's been so many miracles. I, I, a lot of them are included in here where those, I talk even about my relationship with my father. There's just a lot of specifics in there that are used to, to show that when you turn your mind around, when you change your mind, when you change your purpose, then the world that you perceive changes. I mean, I had people that would say to me, wow, you're, everything's changed between you and your father in terms of this world. And, and, and they would even say, he really changed a lot. And I would say, no, my mind changed 
a lot. It was my perception of my father that was where the grievances were coming in, and it was my changed perception where the healing took place, where we could actually appreciate one another. I mentioned that, I think, in the book where, uh, where he comes out and at one point confesses to me, Dave, I really wasn't a very good father. And I'm saying, nonsense. You did the best that you could do based on what you believed. I did the best that I could do based on what I believed. And we're not going to play this game any longer of expectations of good son and good father and all the expectations that go in. Because it's a never-ending circle when we keep heaping on more and more expectations. This could have been different. This should have been different. You know, the blame game, the, the grievances, they just go on and on, just like wheels turning until we have that one moment of release where we say, it stops here. The love, the connection is more important to me than playing this game, repeating this game of grievances. So, practically speaking, if we give ourselves over to trusting in this moment and just coming closer and closer in to what this moment is, then we will realize that we can't be in this moment and hold grievances. To hold a grievance is to cling to something of the past and to try to make it real. To hold a grievance is to say, I value the hatred of the grievance more than I do my present freedom. Now, I want to talk a little bit about time, because when we talk about this moment as your miracle, I've been talking about this for quite a few years, but this whole idea of past, present, and future is part of the distortion. All of us were raised with the idea that the present moment is between the past and the future. It's this little dot. Like even when we remember in history class and the history teacher would come out with the chalkboard and would start drawing the big timeline and go on and on about all the historical events, there still was that little chalk mark that was squeezed in between those lines and those arrows. And I would say the first time I really heard a different view of that was actually from my Christian days in the Bible because I remember Jesus had said something. He said, um, before Abraham was, I am. So if you look at the grammar of that sentence, before Abraham was, I am. We're not used to putting the I am before Abraham, before the past. The present moment is before time was. And that's where the whole grievance against God and all of our grievances come in is we still don't realize that that God is eternal, that who we are is an eternal being. And as long as we put ourselves on the timeline, we're trying to put ourselves on something that the ego invented. And the wonder we struggle, the wonder there's guilt, to try to put yourself on the timeline, somewhere, anywhere, is the timeline is where the guilt is, because the ego invented linear time. Uh, for me, 
I see how that fits in with true forgiveness because instead of trying to forgive people or yourself for what the body did or didn't do on the timeline, which is exhausting, you know, we've all tried that and we think, oh, it's not working. No matter how many times I try this mental gymnastics, I still remember their face. I still remember what they said. I, I etched in my mind the memory of what they did. And then somehow we're supposed to forgive that memory. It's still because that memory is an ego invention. It's, it's holding on to an, an figment of imagination in our mind that isn't true, that that's why we're still hurting. We're trying to hold on to something that's false, and we can't seem to let it go because we, be we believe it's true. We don't see it as false. So for me, that was a huge experience. I know with my, my father when I started to realize that, that the grievance, the upset, the anger, all of it was in my own mind, and that I had the power in one instant to let it go and to bless instead of replaying this imaginary scenario over and over, which was going nowhere for, for both of us. We weren't feeling any joy. That's the power of what true forgiveness is. It's not trying to forgive the behavior of another. It's starting to see that the perception of whatever seem to occur, that egoic, judgmental perception, that is the problem. And when we forgive, we have to pluck the offense from our mind. We have to realize that forgiveness is a gift to ourself. We can't hold on to this dark interpretation and feel happy and healed and whole. We have to pluck the offense from our mind. And once we do it, we see the value of that. We become more willing to pluck all the offenses and truly be happy without holding anybody to the past. We have to let go of holding them to the past. So I see some of you have the book and I would like to just open it up here a little bit. If any of you have had the book or have had experiences with it or from some of the ideas I've been sharing tonight, if there's anything that you have a question or a comment on, I would love... I'm the only one that's read the book. Oh, my God. Oh, you guys... Well, it, when did it... When was it released? It was released on February 2nd. Oh, okay. Um, almost every case is highlighted, so... <laughs> I, I just love it. But can I just ask you a question? Um, maybe I haven't addressed it. I haven't read it yet in your book. But if do you find yourself like when you read the newspaper or you turn on the TV and you watch the news? If you watch the news, do you find yourself judging in that moment? No, no. It's almost like if I'm if my eyes glance on the news or something like that. It, it has reminded me of my travels all these years that sometimes I would be taken into a, a mall or a, a bookstore or even a, a store where they were selling TVs and I would kind of walk through the store and I would scoop up a few news stories and then I would give a talk 
the next day, and it would ref, it would refer. It's almost like those are those are just like little aspects of what current events that can be used to teach the state of mind that's beyond the current events. So it's almost like if you were if you were uh, trying to write a story and you were looking to gain certain aspects to use in your story, that's kind of the way it is for me. I don't find myself um, interpreting um, in terms of judging the world and then trying to go back. That's the way it was at the beginning. Of course, that's where it starts. You know, you have to be honest and, and let those emotions come to the surface. But then the more you get immersed into the moment, then you find that there's a, there is a positive, helpful use for everything. Even these parables, uh, like I was doing tonight, where we drove here and saw the tents under the overpass, that was just part of part of uh, what's spoken. So can you honestly say that you have uh, eliminated your ego? Well, I think I don't. I don't really get into eliminate, but actually, I feel very happy and joyful and clear and right-minded, and that's that's the purpose of it. The ego is is a choice. It's a it's literally like a death wish, or it's a, it's a filter, and when you choose to live without that filter, then you become very happy, and then you draw forth those witnesses. Uh, sometimes people have come to me, there's a uh, friend from, uh, from Hawaii, uh, Jason, and, and he actually had heard from somebody else, there's a guy speaking at this center, yoga center, who's egoless, and he came to check it out. <laughs> and as he came and he checked it out, uh, he um, was quite fascinated, and he he heard the the teachings of no private thoughts and no people pleasing, the, the mechanisms we were talking about, and he was so fascinated that uh, he went and he shared all of his private thoughts and all of his secrets with his girlfriend, and then he came back the next day and. He said, wow, that, that didn't go too well. Uh, <laughs> judging by her reaction, uh, I was so excited about this uh, no private thoughts and no people pleasing, but I'm here for the second night of the lecture to hear what's going on. I said, he said, did I miss something? I said, uh, discernment. You have to have discernment. It doesn't mean that you should just pour out every, every thought in your mind, but it it's that you would have none that you would hide, kept secret and hidden. And and he's actually still part of our community today, many, many, many years later. That was just the first two nights. So I do feel like that's the love attracts love. The witnesses to love show up to the mind. And that's how we're convinced, uh, is by showing up and, and letting the love pour through us and then letting the witnesses come back. It's also how we're, we experience joy is by inspiring that joy in those that we meet. So, yeah, it, that's the way it feels for me. It feels very, it's consistently light. Yeah. It also means that you, you have such a consistency of mind that you really aren't hoping that anything will be different. So, in terms of the world, it's a shift in the way you look at the world, 
but there is a, a contentment and a peace that comes with that. So you're not asking or demanding that the world be different. And that takes a lot of letting go, because there's, that's, that's what the ego is. It's the demand that things be different than they are. And then when you experience a human lifetime with so many events and circumstances and everything, and your sole purpose is to let all things be exactly as they are, that takes a, a great devotion and determination. Because uh, one time someone was saying, how can you be in the present moment and hold on to opinions? And I was saying, well, you can't. You can't be fully in the moment and hold on to opinions. Opinions are, are part of the judgments that cloud us from, from acceptance. And I love the line from A Course in Miracles where Jesus says, Without judgment, all things are equally acceptable. Well, that is a bit of divine logic. Without judgment, all things are equally acceptable. Now, some people say, well, that's, you know, that's impossible to stop judging. And that's why we have our inner guide. That's why we have the present moment. We have to put our faith and say, there is one in me who can look upon all things with calmness. There is one within me who is peaceful. There is one within me that knows the, the best in all events and encounters and circumstances. And we keep putting our faith in this moment because the one that's within me that is without judgment is in this moment. It's not some God in the sky or uh, angel from the past. It's just literally in this moment. If we can sink and give ourselves fully over to this moment, then that's where we experience this peace. So it's, it's real. It's possible. It's inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Anybody else have anything? Yes. We just talked about my question, but um, you talked about the importance or value of fucking grievances from your mind. And you say something about the value in the place of sharing emotional reactions or desires or whatever with others. Which, David, will you repeat the question? Yeah. Um, I He's asking me to repeat it. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, he was talking about with emotional reactions and desires and things that come up and and expressing those. How does that fit with what's the other plucking part with plucking grievances the grievances? Yeah. Well, I think because of the unconscious mind, we have to have a, a, an allowance to not push down, deny, constantly repress everything that we judge, we prejudge as wrong. Because how is it going to come up and how is it going to get exposed if it's, if it's constantly judged and pushed down? So I think that brings up that idea of allowance. For me, Spiritual awakening means you have to have an allowance. You have to have a trust in your mind and an allowance to let 
what darkness needs to, to come into awareness to let it surface. And so for, I would say, everyone that I've ever known or everyone I've experienced on the planet, there, there is this phase of exposing the darkness, going through the darkness to the light. And then I think as you go through this and you have so much allowance for this and you, you let it up and you let it out, but you get better and better at, at not interpreting or not holding it, not making some kind of conclusion. Just because the dark, dark clouds moving through doesn't mean we have to conclude anything. The more we can do that, we're, it's more like we're witnessing, we're the witness self, witnessing it coming and going. And then as you allow this more and more and more and you feel the purification occurring, it suddenly dawns on your mind that in order to forgive, you must reach a state of mind in which you do not see error at all, at which is the Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit in us. The Spirit doesn't first condemn and then wipe away, but the Spirit has no condemnation at all. In fact, that's one of the, the lines from A Course in Miracles, that's one of the most striking lines, uh, and the line goes, God does not forgive, for he has never condemned. And there must be condemnation first before forgiveness is necessary. Uh, I had a friend in Holland, the singer Netta Bowen, the first time she read that God does not forgive, she, she was shocked that she could read that line in A Course in Miracles, but she kept on reading about there must be condemnation first before forgiveness is necessary. You can kind of get a feel from that, that where this is all leading is to such a beautiful I amness, such a beautiful state of mind, that it's prior to judgments, because it's prior to time. So that's the, that's the high note. And, and that's why even when you move through this allowance and you watch these desires and these impulses and these reactions coming up, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to welcome that to come up because I can't push it down and I can't pretend that it's not in my awareness. I have to allow that. But it actually does lead to a place where you realize not that you have to stop judging, but that you have this aha moment where you realize, I am incapable of judging. I wasn't even created to be a judge. The Creator didn't create me to do that. So it's not like you're stopping, letting go of a bad habit, but you're just transcending the whole idea of judgments in the first place. Why would love judge? Why would love condemn? It's, it's, you know, we can start to feel how ridiculous that would be. So to me, this is also the time thing of coming back to the moment, because the present moment is our gateway to eternity. We're not going to reach it through future concerns. We're not going to ever reach it through past regrets. Those are the things that were made to block us from the moment. And once you start to tap into this moment, then you start to say, oh my gosh, hallelujah, this is, this is everything. I am so worthy of this moment. I am so worthy of, of, 
allowing myself to drop into that and seeing that everything is taken care of. Now most people would say, you know, well, if you look at most careers and you look at most roles and positions in the world, it could be family roles, it can be corporate roles, it can be societal roles, it can be political roles, and they, people will say, I can't, I can't even fathom the role, that role, without judgment. And it's like, right, yeah, all the roles are tied up in the judgments. But don't you think the Jesuses, the Buddhas, the Lao Tzu's, don't you think the mystics and the saints must have had an epiphany where they could just drop the roles? I mean, I look at, as I was growing up, I remember, I don't know how old I was when I first watched that movie, Gandhi. But I, like most people in the theater, I think I must have sat there watching Gandhi with my jaw dropped at watching this movie. Even Albert Einstein said, for generations to come, that no one will believe there was a man that walked this world in flesh and blood like Gandhi. Albert Einstein was like hushed in humbleness by Gandhi. And then when you look at Gandhi, you start to realize, wow, he must have had a moment where he felt in his heart nonviolence was the way. He must have felt that. You know, he was trained as a lawyer in England. If a lawyer in England <laughs> can drop that mask <laughs> and drop into nonviolence, the other thing about Gandhi was he wasn't a prime minister. He he never held a political office, and yet there were millions of people that were touched and influenced by the way that he lived his life in the moment without a political office. You know, that's like a striking example for us that, that if we give ourselves over to this and we really go for it, that things may start to drop away that we previously had identified with. And that instead of there being a sense of loss with those things dropping away, instead we find a happy lightheartedness. Wow, I am so grateful, I am so glad. So to me, that's, that's what we're going for. We're going for that, that state of, of the moment, the bliss of the moment. And then those other things that arise, um, they, they need to arise until they don't anymore. Yes. Oh, there's another question. Well, it's just kind of following up what uh, what I asked was, uh, and what's the value of sharing that stuff that arises? The place or value of that, yeah. sharing it with maybe whoever you're reacting to. Yeah. So David's asking, what's the value of sharing those things that, that arise? I think the only value in sharing is is initially... If you're so used to stuffing, denying, repressing, hiding those things, if you're so into the habit of playing a good David, or I know that that game myself, playing good little David, 
where you want to be a seen in a, in a good way and you have these emotions that are underneath the only value in sharing is is kind of like the same thing in Catholicism where they say go to confession or the same thing in 12 steps when they say do an inventory and talk to your sponsor you know when your sponsor's there don't don't be shooting the breeze and say how are you doing fine 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 and and covering over so initially, there's a value in sharing, perhaps, if you have a habit of hiding, to break out of that habit of hiding. And then as you go on in the mind training more and more, it's more of an internal process of sharing with, with the spirit and, and saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to hide this. And, and there's a, a release that happens that way. Yes. All due respect to your explaining Individuals happen to interact with you, though, and they happen to be very hostile or critical, and it's a natural to me or this is oneself. How how do you maintain that boundary though, with someone if you are, for lack of a better expression, caught up in the moment of you know trying to follow your way of thinking? I, I don't know how how to do that. Yet, it's actually in, in, in the world of time, the question is, how do you maintain a, a defenseless, um, non-reactive uh, uh, state of mind in the face of uh, what seems to be very uh, aggressive or hostile or volatile um, circumstances? Which is the predominant worldview from that. Well... What I discovered was, and this, a lot of it came through traveling around and being in a third world country where, where there's guns and knives everywhere and those kind of circumstances as I would move around. Um, I saw that I really had to practice this idea that, that what I perceive is what I believe and that, that if I had reactions... Uh, defensive reactions with anything or anyone, regardless of what the the circumstances seem to be, that that this was my um, opportunity for forgiveness. So, if you do feel fear and you do feel a, a, a defensiveness and a, and a and a, a reaction of of fear that's arising, there's no point in trying to control the behavior and behave nice if you're feeling fearful. Uh, it's, you, can't, you can't control behavior and then have a mind that is in another state. So there's, there has to be a congruency. And I would say, ultimately, the only way that we can have a complete integrity and congruency is, is to go inside and release these judgments, grievances, beliefs, perceptions. Um, for example, the more trusting you become in the miracle, and the more you have, life becomes very serendipitous. Synchronicities, like Carl Jung talked about, you know, you're, you're like 
swept up every day in many, many synchronicities, like click, 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 like things are just falling into place, almost like some kind of a fairy tale or something. When the mind starts to become so trusting and so in the flow of, of this spirit, guidance, then there, you do not perceive um, situations as, uh, as fearful. You're, literally the fear is being generated from the consciousness and when you purify that then you, you don't feel at the mercy of the world. And if you do, that those are those opportunities to call on the presence to come back to the moment. So you see that as your opportunities to practice that. So, for example, um, I would say that, that to the extent that you are trusting and living in the moment, you become less and less dependent on anything of the world, which is a very different state of mind than we're raised with. You know, we're, we feel we're dependent on the weather, we're dependent on, on politics, economics, uh, medicine, you know, nutrition, you know, we could go through these things point by point, and you can see where the mind, when it's asleep and caught in time, it, it very, feels very frightened and very vulnerable, and it's, it's of course, is very identified with the body, and that is part of the, the, the vulnerability, is that identification. And then as the tables start to turn and you start to question these things and pay closer attention to your mind and go through this purification, then the fear goes away because the fear was part of that ego belief system. And as you withdraw your mind from the ego, then the fear level goes down. When it pops up here or there, then you know you've got your golden opportunity. So you're not going to quick just react and try to do something in form to protect yourself. It's it's more like uh, like those movies, The Horse Whisperer, or you see those people that are are so in tune with with the nature of truth and reality that they they're very calm in in circumstances with animals. They don't see them as wild animals that they could be attacked by or eaten by, it's a very, they're, they're communing with those animals, they're seeing them, the animals as part of themselves, part of their, their awareness, their consciousness. So, I would say too that my hope for this book is to like, it's to help set the mind in the right direction. And then also I don't try to paint like a, a, a super rosy picture in the sense of of trying to be unrealistic. I'm, I'm saying it takes mind training. Uh, this book was inspired by A Course in Miracles that we talked, Barbara and I talked about, and I came across The Course in Miracles back in 1986 down in La Jolla, a, a conference, Association for Humanistic Psychology conference with Carl Rogers speaking at his last um, his last uh, seminar, his last uh, conference, and then that was my starting point with the course. And this book is like try, is saying, here, this is a good direction to go in, but, but it will take a lot of inner work before the fear 
starts to dissipate and dissolve away. You sound like a magical fix of just saying, well, just read the book and you'll never be afraid anymore. It's like, if you can engage with it and go in that direction, then it will be enormously helpful. But it does take, it does take a lot of um, willingness to do the training. It's a very good question, though, because it's a practical question. Yes. that so everyone can hear. But Dennis was saying that in the past his his method has really been just opening up and saying help uh, when things come up and he's been reading through half of the book and, and doing the lessons that are at the end of the chapters and I sense that you're saying it's giving you a bit more of a context or it's giving you some some things that are related to what it is that you're holding on to in your mind, whether it's an expectation or a thought or a belief that is, is starting to give you, uh, help you in some way. Uh, I think it's, it's always been the case in my mind that the beliefs are, are a big part of this. And but I didn't have a way other than asking perhaps it was differently and just giving the situation recognizing that it's just one perception, one objection. But this seems to be a way to make that more concentrated, more, let's put it into a shorter period of time instead of just doing it whenever something comes up. Constantly inquiring about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have to have a major thing going on or anything, but significant thing going on. I'm just inquiring into politics or, or, or the, the diet thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it, Dennis is bringing up that point about just the simplicity of asking for help versus something that may even be uh, more helpful to you in the sense of, of um, gaining a little bit of insight into um, what is it that I'm holding on to. Like I do remember at some point of my spiritual journey, I, I kept asking and asking Spirit, tell me what is it that I'm so afraid of? What is it that I'm so afraid of? Why am I so closed and so defensive? And the Spirit said, uh, it's love. And I said, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I, I do no, no, I don't get that at all. That is not helpful at all. And, and I said, 
afraid of love. No, I want love. I have been devoting my life to try to experience love, and you're telling me that I'm afraid of love, and that I'm defensive and closed because I'm afraid of love. And so, when I said I don't get this at all, I said, can you present this in another way, uh, or something that will help me? This is not helpful at all. And so, then the next thing I heard was, well, you're defending against love, but what are you defending for? If you're defending against love, what are you defending for? What are you protecting? And I said, okay, I'm, I'm open to that. And he said, you have a self-concept, you have an image of who you think you are. And you're afraid love's going to take that image away from you. And that's why you close your heart, and that's why you throw your defenses up, and that's why you're so protective, because you're protecting an image, a self-concept that is an invention, it's a fictitious fabrication, it has no reality, no truth. So I was like, okay, that's, thank you, give me something to work with here. And, and so then it turned it around to like, okay, every day show me more and more of what this self-concept, self-image is, that I'm so identified with, that I can't even see it. Show me bit by bit, piece by piece, and then Spirit was like, I will, every day. With, with the movies we watch, I'm going to point it out, I'm going to show you when you get upset, I'm going to remind you of this moment, I'm going to keep coming back to help you dissolve away this attachment that you have to this make-believe self that isn't your true reality. So to me, that's what you're talking about with these exercises. Like one of them is to sit down and watch the movie, Bruce Willis movie, The Kid, and, and watch your journal on your emotional reactions to that movie. And if some of you haven't seen it, it's where Bruce Willis... Uh, actually has a little boy that shows up and it's him and a, a younger self that shows up in his life and he has all these grievances about his younger self which are really his own self-concepts and beliefs that have to be exposed and released and in that sense it gives you a, a bit of a context for for what you're needing to have lifted and exposed whereas that that idea of just help is good, but sometimes it helps to have a little more context, a little more impetus for facing things. Yeah. And also inquiring into what Yes. So Dennis is bringing up inquiry. That's the value of inquiry. And of course, in miracles, Jesus says to learn this course requires willingness to question every value that you hold. Not one can be kept hidden or it will obscure your learning. So it's the same thing that Buddha talked about, inquiry. Jesus talks about it, you know. Muji, uh, Ramana Maharshi, the whole pathway, Muji and Ramana Maharshi is based on self-inquiry. And that's really what this is. Yeah. How are we doing here? Wow. It's flying by. We're going to close in 45 minutes. Okay. Yes.
So I, I'm available too to sign books, and uh, this has been delightful coming here to a Barnes and Noble. And there's a hand up. Hi, David. Hi there. It's Sally. Hi, Sally. I first met David in Hawaii when he came over from the community in the Big Island, and and spent a weekend. We had a movie movie night weekend, and and um, with my course of community. Of course, of Miracles community there. <clears throat> and then I met him again in, at the conference last, and I have a really fun picture of me in my Pause for Love hat uh, with David smiling as he always, always is. I, I would like to host a book group at my house to talk about this book, and we, in, in, um, I've been doing a few book groups, and we, we, uh, in one, we, we read together. We just come together and we read. Uh, we do that on video, so it doesn't wouldn't even have to be uh, always a physical presence. You know, we could even meet on video sometimes, and and in my house for a potluck dinner on other times. But we we could do exercises together, and and I what has been so uh, inspiring. And for me is that Jesus is showing us how to, sh we, we share the healing with everyone. When we, when we talk about a grievance and we are willing to, you know, be authentic and, and vulnerable and we have, we're working on trust. You know, part of the Course of Miracles is the, um, the, the teacher's manual. And in there, and then it's developing trust. And so we're, we go deep into that together sometimes, but if anyone's interested in exploring that with me, I would really like that because more more potlucks, more community, and, and it's the sharing. It's the sharing. It's the prac. It's where you go. In fact, I got a call yesterday morning. She said I was so triggered last night. I thought we'd healed this. This person and I have been really close. Can can we do a session? And and you know, it's just a number of grievances and. So the healing, the healing is happening, you know, and, and so by talking about it, I think someone else was asking, you know, how do you let go of it? Because we're handing it over to spirit. That's the bottom line. We hand it to spirit. We don't have to figure out how this is all going to take place. It's part of that surrender. But it helps. You have to share in those moments. And you need someone to talk to that's on the same page because you were talking about you know, setting boundaries and having, you know, somebody be hostile. Well, if they've gotten defensive, it's not a comfortable situation when you have hostility because they're they, they're triggered, you know? So at that point, it really helps some have someone to talk to and, and go back to that peace. You know, we get, we go, you know, drop into our hearts together and pray and, and know, Spirit, we are handing this over to you. So I, that's what... But I would like if anyone is interested, we can talk about it. So if anybody, yeah. if you buy a book, you may want to get contact information yeah. or things and put it right in the book. To if you like that idea, to bring forward with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you Barbara. Thank you.